February 24th, 2023. That means it's only like 10 days after Valentine's Day, so we all have a lot of love for each other 10 days later. But here we are at Common Sense Ohio at the roundtable at Channel 511. And uh, you might ask, what the hell is Common Sense Ohio? Well, it's the latest and greatest show that employs common sense to all these all this absurdity that's happening in the world using Ohio as a focus. So what we're doing is we're taking news stories from Ohio, discussing them, and you know what happens? A lot of times they have impact on the rest of the world, not just the country, but the rest of the world. This is flyover country, folks, and that's why we are Common Sense Ohio at the roundtable. So the normal crew is here. We've got uh, Norm hiding over there, and, and, and as always, Norm's got like this uh, stack of papers. I, it's like grad school 1970s paper chase law school edition over there with norm with all and he's got a hat on an nra hat too boy hubba hubba you're set and uh That's right. you're set. we've got uh brett over there uh making all things podcasts happen so he's part of the round table here for common sense ohio but he's got this other life too i mean believe it or not we don't make a huge living doing common sense ohio we do this for the people folks we do it for you uh which uh brings me to the next topic of discussion we do have a website commonsenseohioshow.com and you can be a sponsor so that's really easy you just go to commonsenseohioshow.com shoot us an email and we will hook you up we have uh we're planning on launching the sponsorships very soon and we've got a couple people have reached out if you want to get in the queue so to speak then all you need to do is reach out at commonsenseohioshow.com and and for those who know me yours truly steve palmer i still have lawyer talk and there's lots going on there for now, the feeds are separate, but uh, or feeds are uh, sort of parallel, but they'll be separate soon. I promise. Um, now, the, it, it, getting right to the show, it would be almost impossible to have a common sense Ohio or any news or any commentary show on Ohio without talking about a train crash. <laughs> and um, you know, you could say the whole world's in a perpetual train crash right now, and to some extent, I think it is, which is why we need a good, healthy dose of common sense to begin with. But um, there is a, a, a train crash that has occurred right here in Ohio. And, you know, it's funny, you see Ohio all over the news now, nationally, politically. Uh, in, in you know, I hate to see it, but it, it, somehow this has become a polarizing political issue with, uh, you know, Trump was in Ohio the other day, and then right on the heels of that, all of a sudden, Mr. Buttigieg comes to Ohio, not to be outdone by Donald Trump. Uh, and, you know, I think one of the commentators at um, uh, on the scene up there basically said, yeah, it's funny. They only come when they want to get on TV and have some political gain about it. And I, I would say that's probably true. You know, the, although there is a there is a obvious elephant in the room that has not shown up, and that's Joe Biden. He went to Ukraine instead. Um, now, I, all that said, I don't think any of these people are doing anything, really. Now, Trump at least brought water, his Trump water, and bought everybody McDonald's. That's good. Uh, but, it, it, you know, just because Biden shows up and tips his hat at the people here in Ohio, I don't think that's going to change the fact that all this happened. And just because Pete Buttigieg shows up and um, and tips his hat and says, hey, we're, we're here for you, uh, great. And this brings up all sorts of discussions that we're not going to get into today, and I'll tell you why in a second. But there's other discussions here involve, involving, like, what is the federal government responsibility in such things? You know, what's the – do we need FEMA? Do we need disaster relief? Is there a Department of Transportation that should be involved? Is there – like, who should fix this? Who should clean it up? Who should regulate it? What? How did it happen? And uh, is it – whose fault is it? Now, I, I tend to be more libertarian on this. I know um, others may have a different viewpoint. But uh, it's become political, but nobody's doing anything, right? It's just still this uh, arrow slinging, and you know the, the Dems are still blaming Trump for something he did years ago, and Trump comes and brings water, so he's blaming them for doing nothing. Uh, but here at Common Sense Ohio, we're going to cut through all that nonsense. 
Norm, we're not gonna we're not gonna play that game. We're gonna we're gonna get right to the heart of this. And uh, we have uh, today a guest, and um, the the guest is going to help us assess the important thing here, which is what the heck is going on with the dirt, with the ground, with the air, with the water, with the environment, and how do we how do we even begin to comprehend how to clean up this mess? What is this chemical? I don't hear anybody talking about this. They're all talking about instead uh, Buttigieg, whether he showed up or not. They're talking about instead, um, uh, you know, who's bringing water and who's not bringing water. So, you know, it really, it, it, this is more about, to me, what do we need to do? Uh, what did the, Have we taken the right action so far? And if not, what do we need to do to fix it? And for that, I have a special guest. We have um, um, Jay Simons, who is an environmental geologist. I've known Jay for the better part of, I don't know. A long, long, long time. Man, over 30 years. Yeah. So uh, Jay and I went to college. He, the College of Worcester here in Ohio, believe it or not, right from Ohio, uh, has a phenomenal geology program. Um, Fred Kropp was up there, right, Jay? That was his uh, – he was yep. the geology guy. So uh, believe it or not, a lot of people came to Ohio, came to Worcester to, to study geology, and Jay did just that. Um, he has then gone on to work in all sorts of fields of, of – geology studies but mostly i've talked to you a lot about uh environmental cleanup and uh i'll let you speak for yourself with your resume but the idea here is to get jay's perspective uh as an expert who has been involved in cleaning up such messes uh, to tell us what the heck is going on and and what the deal is you're saying so we're going to get the dirt we're going to get the, the dirt, dirt. <laughs> yeah we're going to get the dirt so you know, without any further ado, Jay, give us. Why don't you start by just giving us your background a little bit, so people know that you're not just some dude uh, wearing a, a shirt with a skull on it, and uh, we can. Uh, you know what that is, Stevie. I, I know exactly what it is, and we can uh, we can start to get to the heart of this thing and figure out, uh, you know, what we need to do and, and what's what should we be talking about. So start start with telling us why you're uh, why you're the person to be talking to. Yeah. Well. Good morning, gentlemen. How are we? Good to see you guys again. You too. Um, this is a just. This is really sad to begin with. It's a, uh, and I've kind of stayed away from it because it has been a cluster from the word go. But uh, my background, um, I have over thirty years in environmental remediation. Um, I start off in geology. I was supposed to be on the oil rigs, and when I got out of school, uh, the oil industry was down. So I migrated to the um, boots on the ground, environmental remediation industry, which was fairly new at the time. Uh, I had gravitated towards that because I start off really my hardcore construction career in the um, Army National Guard and the uh, Corps of Engineers. So I was a combat engineer to begin with. So I built roads in Honduras, did quarry operations in Honduras, did all sorts of stuff, built base camps, um, built bridges, blew them up, started off that way. Uh, and I guess I have an affinity for pumps and stuff like that. So my specialty is contaminant groundwater uh, remediation. So that's the the long and short of it. I've now migrated to mostly construction, and I uh, I say specialty construction because I've I've owned a drilling company before, 
Um, basically, if it's underground, I'm your guy. And, uh, and also, I have about 10 years of materials testing, which is, you know, uh, uh, soil compaction, uh, steel uh, uh, inspections uh, for development, and, uh, you know, concrete testing, that type of stuff. So um, that's really the long and the short of it. The reason why I say this is so sad, and I, and I really haven't even dived into this. In my opinion, they've taken my 35 years of experience and everybody else, there's thousands, tens of thousands of people like me. And they basically threw it out the window like they did with everything else over the last three years. Uh, none of the science matters. None of what we know matters. And what they did could quite possibly be the, the biggest chemical disaster in world history. And I'm not kidding. Well, let's start. Um, I guess let's start by 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 asking you this. So, it, it, first of all, what was the chemical that was spilled? And I'm not going to get in. I yeah, guess here, that's a, well, in the no, that's a good where, starting point. Yeah, we, so we, start we, there. We do you, need to parse that uh, because people need to know what this is. So, vinyl chloride was the main chemical spilled. Now, I don't know of, I mean, I don't think there's been that many vinyl chloride giant spills like this. But what vinyl chloride is, it's basically a chlorinated solvent. It's man-made. So all the nasty stuff is man-made. Um, and it's it's in the, the realm of perchlorate um, into these chlorinated solvents. So perchlorate is the dry cleaning chemical that we always clean up. And if you'll remember, we had a friend that bought a house near a dry cleaner um, cleanup. And the, the products, when perchlorate or vinyl chloride break down in the, in the subsurface, you get what's called DCE and TCE. And they're just really recalcitrant chemicals that do not, it's very difficult to remediate. So that's the, that's the long-term stuff. The short term, <laughs> and I've kind of waited on this because I was I was trying to figure out, you know, is there some new method of of you know remediating chemicals or something by by igniting it? Because I've never heard of that. That is the worst thing you can do. So let me stop and, you there. Let me stop you there. So the vinyl chloride is. Um, You've had you've had experience cleaning that up before in the context of, uh, or at least addressing it in the context of like dry cleaners, and and people don't realize this, and I, I didn't realize this either at first. Is that we were working? I was doing some legal work for a friend, and you, I brought you in to do some expert uh, environmental studies on the on the cleanup. There was already a dry cleaner that had uh, existed in a strip mall, and it was adjacent to this property, and uh, it had been cleaned up allegedly. And uh, we brought you in to look at some of the charts and the and the uh, I don't know what you would call them, but the, the the plot maps of how they did the remediation, where they did the drilling, and what they did. And you basically blew it away. And and what I want to get into is like this 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 vinyl chloride. What does this chemical so, do to people, and why is it so dangerous? So yeah, it's and there's two things here. And whenever you're dealing with environmental exposure to anything, to chemicals or anything. Um, Think of like gasoline. You have acute reactions and chronic 
reactions. So this vinyl chloride thing. Acute meaning immediate and then chronic meaning yes. long-term problems, right? Correct. Now, what it, globally speaking, there's two facets of this problem. One is the near term when they burned vinyl chloride, when they ignited it. That created, <laughs> I, I, I can't even, it, it, this, this is so unbelievable to me. And the governor knew about this. Ohio has its own Ohio EPA. I haven't heard a peep out of these guys. And they supposedly, I don't know, tacitly approved this. I've never heard of this. To remediate something like that, to burn it. When you burn vinyl chloride, you make two things, three things, actually. You make, uh, when it burns, when it contacts moisture in the atmosphere, it immediately makes hydrochloric acid. So they made an acid fallout cloud and phosgene gas. So if you guys remember, phosgene was outlawed after World War I. And that's the main ingredient in mustard gas from Vietnam War. I've heard upwards of possibly four, they've already counted 44,000 animals that have been immediately killed, including pets in people's homes. That, this is, what they did is it's just an unmitigated disaster. Now the fallout also of that has created dioxins. And dioxins are one of the most incredibly potent chemicals that you can make and this is now carpeted all the roofs all the sidewalks all the grass all the farm fields around there dioxin is exceptionally hard to get out of the environment again these are all man-made chemicals and these chlorinated solvents are the worst ones now we can get into dioxins later that is immediately and nobody's testing for it so everybody's saying hey it's fine but nobody's testing for it you need to test the roofs. You need to do swipes on the roofs. You need to go into the fields, collect soil samples, all this stuff, because it will be in our food supply now. Yeah, this the is cows always will a... uptake it. The, the the plants will will freaking be coated with this stuff. <clears throat> it is. This is just the nastiest stuff, and I find this so hard to believe that these people did not know this. We know this. We have fifty years of remediating chemicals and spills and all this stuff. We know this. Well, well, let me stop you there for a second because this is—you made an important point, and and it's one of my pet peeves. Um, and I'll, and I'll make it analogous to a situation I deal with, and that is this: that we have uh, in in say bodybuilding, they say everybody's drug free, but what they're only testing for is like cocaine. <laughs> if, you, if you don't test for it, then <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, and yeah, you're clean. But they're not testing yeah. for steroids, and you know, so right. they're, they're drug free. And I guess it's all about the definitions. It's always in the details. So it's, here they're saying well, everything's clean, but they're not testing for dioxides. And I just wanted to make that clear because you said they're they're saying it's all clear, but uh, the testing it's you not. would do otherwise is it's uh, not they're, is not this place. It's it's they just created the biggest Superfund site probably ever. It's unbelievable. Uh, this is I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around what what they were thinking. Now, what nobody else is talking about, and even on these, you know, these syndicated shows, are the chronic effects of all that material in the soil, which will leach into the groundwater. Now, that is, uh, I don't know anything about East Palestine's uh, water intake or anything like that, but you did hear that that 
the city of Cincinnati about mm-hmm. a week after this happened, shut down their, uh, their wells. Um, so you have wells that are vertical for water intake and wells that are horizontal and they shut down their horizontal wells. Cause those are usually set into the banks of rivers. So you have natural filtration, but these things are huge collector wells. Those are probably the ones that they shut down. They still have their, their true groundwater wells going. But when you get water out of a river, say, or, or that type of situation, you have these giant collector wells. So the city of Columbus, I think, has 10 or 12 of them in this. I believe it's the Scioto watershed. Um, this stuff, number one, it does evaporate readily, but you have so much material, I guarantee you it's in the substrate. And, it, and the thing is, it's heavier than water, just like the gas that they have is heavier than air. So that creates a freaking, uh, you know, uh, suffocation, you know, um, situation right away. But um, the this type of material, and it's really slippery, it gets everywhere. And it's, it's heavier than the groundwater. It's heavier than the river water. And it will be everywhere down there. So let me ask you, they... And so and real quick, so what happens is when it gets into the sub the substrate, uh, microbes and, you know, the air in there will break it down to what, what are called daughter products. So you're not going to necessarily see vinyl chloride, chloride per se, but you'll see the, the DCE and the TCE. And those were the products that our buddy, that's what was in his ground. The guy, the and, dry cleaner ground. Yeah. Yes. The dry cleaner. So the problem with that is when it travels through the subsurface and, and into groundwater, what happens is it'll hit your basement. And, and remember, his wife was pregnant at the time with her first child. And that's why I'm like, you got to get the heck out of there and don't let your wife in there. Because what these chlorinated solvents do is they're horrible for, for mothers. They're horrible for fertility. They're a neurotoxin. Uh, and the chronic effects are liver failure, um, it, you know, whatever it does to your brain and your neuro system. And, and also it affects uh, fertility and birth rates. And this, you had what, a million pounds of this stuff? That is going to disperse into the environment, into the soil and into the groundwater. It's going to be everywhere. And I don't know, I'm, I, I, I haven't looked at um, the geology yet of East Palestine and or the hydrogeology to see how far away it is from uh the ohio river uh but a lot of times that stuff and there's so much of it that it'll just dive under the river if the geology is correct if it's a like a a sand or a cobbly environment so uh but it's just i have never heard of any this is what you would do in 1920 is burn this stuff i i to this, yeah, I know. Well, let me stop you there because what I want to do is, Norm, give us a. We had, uh, I wanted, I want to do a little quick uh, t- blurb or background on what exactly happened. Like, uh, how, what, it was obviously rail cars, but were they tanker cars and they derailed? Yes. So I think we should probably lay that foundation because it's relevant yeah. here and how much of this stuff actually went into the, uh, went into the environment. Well, uh, the NTSB has come out with a preliminary report just, uh, I believe yesterday, made a lot of news that monitoring uh, systems for the railroad 
as far away as Salem, Ohio, uh, with the train, 50-car train, on its way to um, uh, East Palestine, had detected uh, more than 250 degree Fahrenheit above ambient. So whatever ambient was back on that day, what was it, February 3rd or whatever, whatever day that was, that the accident occurred. Uh, so roughly, let's just round it off, 300 degrees Fahrenheit uh, was being detected uh, on the wheel bearings. And uh, the theory at this point, working theory, is that's why the axle failed and that's what led to the derailment. Uh, out of 50 cars, what they say, Jay, uh, which I'm sure is where you're getting your 1 million uh, pound figure from, is uh, five of the cars uh, were um, compromised and leaking. And so, uh, go ahead, Jay, you had something. Well, it, it, yeah, it was actually 149 rail cars and they had two okay. up front engines and now they put the, an engine midway through these strings. Okay. And yes, that was correct. There was some kind of failure in a wheel bearing. Um, so was it was 50 detected. that left the rails then? And the other, I, I, you know what? I don't, I, I don't know that. That must be said. where the uh, 38, it said derailed 38 rail cars 38. on main okay. track one. Yeah. I read this report. What a piece of crap this is. Yeah. Um, it says vinyl chloride, chloride is a flammable petrochemical. No, no, it's not. So vinyl chloride is a chlorinated solvent and it's man-made. Uh, and they basically use that stuff for making PVC pipes, which is basically inert unless you burn it in your backyard. And then you'll make dioxins just like what they did. Um, so I, I, for the life of me, I can't understand why or how they came to the conclusion that it was the correct thing to do to leak this stuff into a pit or a trench. Well, well let me stop you there. What did they do? What did they do? This is what I, this is how I understand it. Like I say, I haven't, I didn't dive real deep into this just because it's a, it's mad and it's, it's a maddening situation and very, it's sad for me. It's, I just can't believe it. Um, what I heard is they had four rail cars laying on the ground, vinyl chloride seeping out. They made a trench to collect it all. Um, and then <clears throat> once it was in the trench, they made a decision to ignite it. They called that a controlled burn. It was only controlled in the fact that they threw a flare in there and they controlled when they ignited it. That's it. So what, what in order I, to do in ahead. order to do what they what they thought they were going to do, like I said before, you would need to have an oven controlled environment, two thousand degrees to properly incinerate this stuff. No, they just lit it on fire. That's an uncontrolled burn, and they they made phosgene, freaking uh, hydrochloric acid, and uh, dioxin fallout from this. This is exactly what they did. It, it's. It's unbelievable to me. So Steve, Steve and and, uh, and Jay, Brett, what what I had heard uh, early on, right? Okay, when they were trying to explain this within the first day or two, um, was and they used the word glimmering, which probably means something to a chemist, but they the the authorities put out 
press release that the chemicals in the tanks were glimmering and were tantamount to uh, exploding. Uh, So the analogy that they gave was like a soda can uh, pulling the tab and letting it slowly out so that it would go into the trench and then, you know, right, I guess it should have been (laughs) then pumped and re-containerized, but they decided to burn it. But the explanation for why they did a, why they pumped the chemicals out of these uh, tanker cars that were compromised was that the, the, the chemicals were glimmering. And I guess that means getting heated up somehow and were in danger of going kaboom. And then a chain reaction of lighting other non-leaking container cars full of other chemicals that would then, you know, set off a domino effect, I guess, is what they were worried about. What they have done now, almost three weeks later, what they've done now is pinned that decision to use the flares to catch the trench on fire on the local fire chief. So, Oh, that's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. So the the U.S. EPA, the Ohio EPA, whose director has been on scene, just so you know that, Jay, she's been out there. Uh, but it, 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 I don't want to get into the competency because I'm, I'm not sure if she's just not good on camera or on mic or what, what the deal is. But she seems to not really have a grip, at least her public pronouncements on what the deal is. But she, the national EPA guy, Michael Regan, uh, you know, Buttigieg, all these people are basically saying, Governor DeWine, all of them are basically saying, that it wasn't their call, that they gave the fire chief some information and he had to make the call. So you can just imagine being in his role and having people give you incomplete, you know, Norfolk Southern, you know, said they didn't make the call. The fire chief made the call to light it on fire. And what information he got that led to him making that decision, if it really was his decision, right? You know, yeah. or was he yeah. convinced to do it? I I think all That's that has, you know, we're going to have hearings, you know, on this thing. And I guess we'll find out down the road. Um, the other thing you had brought up, Jay, uh, it, local farmers have been on the news. Local people who know the area in East Palestine generally know the uh, hydrology or whatever the correct word is have made statements which need to be, again, verified by people like you, but they've made statements that there is not a good clay layer. Uh, and, of course, farmers having to irrigate you know, their fields know all about whether or not you know, the, 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 the soil is going to hold water uh, if there's clay underneath it, like there is here in uh, the Columbus area. We have a good clay layer, for example, where I live in Licking County. Uh, I think the the type of clay is Piwamo clay. Um, at any rate, it it really holds the water, and they have to actually, you know, lay uh, a drainage pipe in to get the water out of the soil because it it won't drop right. down into the aquifer. But they're saying out there in East Palestine, it's the other way around. That basically, you put water on the field, poof, it's gone. It goes right through the soil. 
and there's not a good clay layer. So that probably adds some urgency, uh, would it not, for these dioxin, uh, the DCE, the TCE breakdown going right through the soil, right you know, to the bottom of the water. I guess. Yeah, and that's what I was getting at before when I said I didn't know really the geology or hydrogeology. That's the intricacies of a cleanup. Um, once it hits soil and starts to basically seep into the soil. Okay. And I'll get to that in just a second. Yeah. So they're saying they left it all up to that poor fire marshal out there in East Palestine. Oh my lord. Population 4700 4, people. And you know what? Who knows? What freaking lack of leadership at our upper level. That is unreal. Yeah. That that so what what I don't understand about this whole thing, and and I will defer to the, the whole glimmer or whatever. <clears throat> My whole thing is why not construct a quick trench that has some kind of uh you know um for lack of a better word, sheeting underneath plastic sheeting or, or something like that. What I don't know about vinyl chloride is can you pump that back into another rail car? Is it that Valdo? I don't think it is. And you have, there are many, many pumps out there that are non-sparking that are non uh, you know, that, that will not cause a fire. So what I don't understand is why couldn't you pump out of that trench into something else and then just control the leakage from those tanks and it says in the DOT documents right here, eliminate all ignition sources, no smoking, flares, sparks, or flames <laughs> from the immediate area. Um, all equipment must be grounded. Yep, we do that all the time. Stop the leak. And then it says, like, spray the other cars to keep them cool. It was 10 degrees out there. So the, the ambient temperatures were actually very conducive to keeping everything cool. Now, you have, they now have drone um, water disbursement technologies. You could just have that drone keep keep everything cool. If it does go, well, then it goes. But you didn't light, what is it, 115,000 gallons of this stuff on fire. Well, let you me know, and they, they, and they did they did have evacuation. I, I just read uh, protocols in place. Um, I just don't understand how it got to that point where they couldn't recover the product and decide to light on fire. That's unbelievable. Well, that's like, that's like 1976. Hey, let's just throw a flare in there. It'll be good. Let me ask you this. So if this, uh, the first and foremost, I, I can't imagine there was not some sort of protocol to deal with this. Should it occur? I mean, I would think somewhere in it, somebody would have said, look, we're hauling all this many gallons of this stuff that if it spills, it's really, really bad, and everybody knows it's really, really bad. So if yeah. it does happen, what's the protocol? And then secondly, like uh, it, it happens, there's the spill. Do you have any insight or experience on what should go on, and or what 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 is typical oh, to go on? In other words, all right, oh, these, we got this these awful spill. What happens next? Yeah, I mean Norfolk. So that's why I mean this is so sad, Steve. It's like they threw out fifty years of health and safety and environmental training right out the window. Now, do you think that's what that's, it seems like to me. Do you think that's because of just panic? It, do you think it's because of something I, else? It, it, I don't understand why, because all fire and rescue personnel have, have drilled on this Norfolk Southern. They, I'm sure that they, they have their own document dealing with this. I'm reading off the DOT, um, 
uh, cut sheet here from the National Library of Medicine, NIH, of what to do in a vinyl chloride tanker spill. We, we have all of this stuff. And, and does any of it say put it in a trench and burn it? No, never. No, that's what I'm saying. And I've been waiting to see what the excuses and all this stuff, every single person I've heard now on these on national TV, guys like me, guys who specialize in rail car freaking, you know, cleanups like this, they're just shaking their head like I am. Like I they're like, this is absurd what they're what they did. Well, can you share and, with and, us? And, 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 so Jay, you know, Columbus, Ohio, I go out my back door and there's a tanker that spilled. And I say, uh, I'm the governor. And I say, all right, call the experts. So they say, ring a ring a ling a ling a ling. This is like a law school. They used to, they used to do this. I ring a ring a ling. You're the lawyer, and you get the call at midnight. What do you do? Right. So I right. call Jay, and I say, Jay, what do I do? I've got this stuff. It's spilling. I'm the governor of uh, the state yeah. of whatever. So, so when I was one of my first jobs out of college, um, was at at this company called Handex. We did emergency responses. We drilled on this stuff. This is 1990. 92, 93. Um, you go there, you assess the situation, you have incident commanders. This is all prescribed. And there's, there's and there 24 guys, 7 guys on call. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're all over the place. And the, this is nothing new. Um, so you get called to the scene, you assess. What do you do? Yeah. You assess, you do exactly what I'm reading off here eliminate all ignition sources. Uh, this, they did have uh, evacuations of one to two miles. They should have kept all that and kept people. I know people are going to be mad, but this is well. We know, talked about it. Stuff. You know, you, you tell people you you get them out and you tell them you warn them, and if they don't if they don't leave, well, then that's on them. I mean, at, at, you know, yeah. at some point, they, people have got to make a decision. But your the protocol would say uh, get evacuations going. Yeah, and then what you do is you assess the situation. Uh, you prevent entry into all the waterways, all surface waterways, basements. Uh, catch basins, all that stuff. They have all that equipment to, to plug all that up. You do that. You This is isolate area until the gas is dispersed. I mean, guys go to class on this stuff and, and drill this stuff. We've done it for 40 years. So, Jay. Uh, so, so it's it, the magnitude may be greater, um, but I have for life of me, I, I, I just can't understand why somebody would throw a, a flare in a trench and burn this stuff. They just, I mean, they, they made it a million times worse. Well, maybe the trigger was the glimmering piece. They yeah, saw so, maybe maybe it comes down to that. They yeah, but but maybe but 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 we have derailments with petrochemicals, okay. and you know they're sitting there shimmering, they're heating up. Gotcha. Yeah, you okay. know, and and, okay. and here the thing is, and there was the a triangle. there was a fire, right? I mean, right? It, it, yeah, it, there's fire, but but they were putting it out. They were they putting it. Had drone gotcha. technology, and I guess that is. I guess yeah. the, I'm I'm not trying to explain this for them. But just no, from, I, yeah, I'm yeah, trying I understand. to understand what they were no, saying. I, right. And it, it seems like yeah. what they were saying, what the governor was saying is this was the least worst decision they could make. In other words, that's, that's he, the totally way false. Governor DeWine has explained yeah. this is that all of, that he was getting was bad decisions and he had to pick the least worst. And now he picked the worst. Yeah. So wow. he literally ignited a chemical bomb. Let me ask. Right there. Let me ask if this helps you further analyze. You know that it could have been handled differently. In the news today, is that the wastewater 
I assume from putting oh, out. Oh, I was going to get to that. The, well, the wastewater has been collected or is in the process now of being collected, and it's being trucked to Texas to be dealt with by a, a contamination yeah, you know, uh, ex, you know, company there. Yeah, that, so they'll incinerate it, or they'll, they'll incinerate. So, yeah, yeah. So the fact proper. that they were able now to collect wastewater from this right. incident sort of supports, I, you know, I again, I'm not an expert, but it supports your point of view that the chemicals to begin with could have been somehow corralled or stored because if the wastewater right. can be recovered. That means the wastewater yeah. is there. They're, they're able to somehow suck that up or vacuum it up. Yep. They, well, could, that's, have, they that's, could have been doing that with the vinyl chloride, I guess. Yeah, and they had, I, I heard that there was 50 vac trucks on, there on site. Wow. Um, and they still ignited it. Wow. So I don't understand why. That's why I don't understand the properties of vinyl chloride. I don't, I would, somebody would have to prove it to me that you can't, you couldn't recover that. Yeah. I mean, and they, you know, it, it seems like that they didn't wait too long. You know, they just freaking did it. Yeah. The other, it's unheard of. It's, it's unheard of in my industry. The other, the other small factor that they claim went into the decision was the prevailing wind at the time was away from the town and Whoever made the decision may have felt like, oh, this is a good, like normally the wind blows the other way. And since we have right now the wind blowing away from the town, heck, let's throw a flare in there. And, you know, yeah. So so how many hundreds of acres of Amish farmland did they just contaminate? Yeah. Bingo. Mm -hmm. Bingo. Right. Well, dioxins, when dioxins fall out like that, it's this stuff doesn't go away. Show us you had be, a you had a diagram that you showed us sort of off the air yeah. a little bit of what happens yeah. when this stuff gets into uh, the ground. If you can't share the screen with us and show yeah. us what you show us what happens now because of this. So and and also you know I forgot to in my background say I got my master's in ge- geology and data analytics, which means I'm really good at cleaning this stuff up and, and looking for trends and finding this stuff. So that's like my expertise is I'm, you mean, you I mean design you, you this go stuff in and figure out where to, where to look for this stuff and make sure it's yes. all gone. Okay. Yes. And, and then how to treat it and then to keep the treatment going. Um, let me uh, try to share here. Okay. Let me see. There we go there. All right, can you see it? Yeah, we got it. And and uh, okay. explain explain it pretty well for the so, podcast listeners too, if you can. Yeah. yeah, this is this is a generalized uh, diagram of how you investigate a plume of product that's in the subsurface. So these little, yes, underground. So now, and like Norm said, when they use all that water, they're pushing a lot of this stuff into the ground, and just the weight of this product will dive into the ground. Now, you've told me before so, that sometimes the weight, like uh, you've said, this stuff is heavier than water. Yes, it is. So this will dive in, say, a, uh, a sandy, cobbly substrate. And as, and as Norm said, so they, and I, I haven't pulled up any well logs of the area, but I am looking at a map, and this is approximately, I don't know, it's pretty close to the to the Ohio River Valley. So those valleys, you have all sorts of, 
you know, stratified sediments in these, in these river valleys that are conducive for stuff like this to just zip right into the subsurface, into the water supply, held down probably all the way down the Ohio River. That's, mm-hmm. a, well, that's why Cincinnati turned off their collector wells. And this stuff moves pretty quick, and it can in the right geologic environment. What this diagram shows, and you can see in the explanation, the plume. So this is your plume, right? The plume being the the chemical spill that's underground. Correct. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at it from a a plan view or up top. So um, what you have to do is you know where your spill happens. So you have your monitoring well, your background wells here. um, And then you design your well network to assess the width and vertical um, dimensions of the plume. Now, and then you can also wells, you mean actually digging holes in the ground and checking to see if this stuff, this yeah. chemical is, has reached a certain direction. So when I'm looking Correct. at these, uh, these little bullseye looking, these things, little circles. Yeah. Yeah. These so are, you have monitoring wells. wells, holes in the ground. Yeah. So soil sample points. So what I would do first off out there is I would take, um, you know, a, a real, there's very slick ways of doing this. Um, environmentally speaking. So you can get a rig out there and you can do a bunch of soil samples and it'll tell you what's happening in the subsurface. And you have to, you have to be able to think 3D. It's not just 2D. You have to figure out where this stuff is vertically. So you're going to have nested data sets, you know, say from 10 feet to 20 feet, 20 feet to 30, 30 to 40 to see where this stuff is. And then you track it all the way out. And once you you do your soil samplings, then that's how you design your well configuration. So the wells will sample the groundwater. So you get samples from your soil samples. It's twofold. You do soil sampling and you do water sampling. Soil sampling is to figure out, you know, exactly what's in the soil and what your soil is comprised of, what your geology is. And then you put in your wells to get your water samples. And And I'm guessing these wells will be nested too. So well, you'll have casing, PVC, go figure, right? And you're trying to find vinyl chloride. Um, you'll have, it's just like a water well, except you're, you're looking in a stratified area to see where the chemicals are. So you'll have a solid piece and then you'll have a screen at the bottom of it so you can collect samples and, and the, the groundwater will flow. And this, so to the right here will be the Ohio River Valley. And this is exactly how it is geographically. So your spill is here. It'll migrate this way and also turn, um, you know, and, and it's not homogenous under there. So you really got to know, know what you're doing to find this stuff and to properly contain it. What I'm concerned about is if this gets in um, your groundwater and the Ohio River, I mean, man, that stuff, that stuff is nasty. You saw all those fish kills already, right? That was like the first couple of days. There was a creek nearby, and just thousands of fish already dead. So this stuff is—it it was catastrophic what they did. They had it controlled, and then they lit it on fire. And and to Norman's point, also when they're when they're using all that water, boy, that's just going to help this stuff move along. You're just basically putting a plunger at the at the left end of this and just pushing it that way. So this is really a threefold problem. You have the, the initial air contamination. Well, now you have surface contamination of dioxins and how much 
farmland was torched. I mean, so you're going to have to have some kind of sampling program where, like Norm said, wherever the prevailing winds went, you're going to have to take samples off of roofs, cars, uh, you know, people's front lawns, and also all that farmland that got torched. That's one part. Then the other part is making sure, and I think I read there's 150 or 115,000 gallons that were contained. We don't know how much spilled or is in the in the ground. Um, and that's the other thing. So it's always it's always an equation of how much and where, and then you design. Um, and this is all rudimentary. So this is this is your investigation to figure out where things are, and then you come in and you design a remedial strategy to capture all that you can capture. So, and like I said before, the primary way that this contaminates homes or, or your, the pathway to ingest this is inhalation. So this shows you can have bio barriers. So you can literally like, like I've dug <clears throat> these barriers, you know, a hundred feet and you fill it with clay right here as a barrier. And then you, then you suck out everything else. So you can actually put in some, some oxidation or some, some air up, up here. Um, I have read it's, it's really difficult. It's not like petroleum. These chlorinated solvents will break down with microbes, but you have to, um, it's really intense um, to do that. Uh, and that may be the only way, but you need some kind of barrier to protect the Ohio River Valley um, and figure out, you know, where it is. And then you can collect it. It'll pile up behind these barriers. So you can pump that out. You can pump it out and treat it. Also, what you would want to have, so your dissolve phase, when this stuff breaks down, there's a vapor phase component of it. And they, that gets in the subsurface. And that's what gets into basements, utility corridors. That's the stuff that you inhale over time. You can develop liver cancer, that's like radon, fertility issues, something like radon gas. It, yeah, yeah, it's something like that, but it's it's obviously more, more uh, yeah more poisonous. Yeah, exactly. So this shows um, a capture of your dissolved stuff. So um, you have injection wells. You inject air to stimulate the microbes, and to also push the vapor to your extraction wells. So these will be above the water table, so you can extract the vapor in the subsurface. So this is just a, just a rudimentary one that I found that, you know, something like this may in fact go in to remediate this stuff. Um, but that's, this is going to take a while to design and get in the ground in all that time, your product is moving and it's moving with the groundwater and all in this area, it's all going to go to the Ohio River Valley. Well, it's what, all going east. What's your best guesstimate on a timetable then? I, I know that this is a kind of a big guess, but um, you can like on emergency actions that I've been on, um, you know, I've been called out at three in the morning mm -hmm. and we have wells in by four Okay. to, to collect product and prevent it from going into sewers or what we call sensitive receptors okay. and sensitive receptors can be utility corridors. They can be water bodies. They can be anything, anything sensitive to whatever that containment is. So, yeah, so like here, if I knew, you know, I'd, I'd throw some wells in down here and probably right in the middle. And you can start pumping that right now. Yeah. 
I guess you know. Um, I, I don't know if they. I don't know if they've done that. Yeah, right. Um, but right. In, and I want to say this sort of. I want to step out here for a second and say this sort of parenthetically. Jay, you've been involved. It, what's what's what makes you sort of a unique commodity here to help us assess this is that you have done this not only in a classroom in like a pie in the sky area, but you've actually had your boots on the ground. I mean, literally oh, yeah. in boots in the mud. Yeah, I, I've actually counted. I've been involved in 2,500 cleanups, but of those 2,500, easily half of those I've drilled myself. And um, I cut my teeth on actually installing remediation, installing and maintaining remediation systems groundwater remediation systems. Um, so I'm a pump guy, piping, uh, and also field. So I get it done in the field. That is like my superpower. Okay, um, this, uh, isn't, this isn't just, I think about this stuff. No, I collect the data in the field and then we go design it. Jay, this is Norm. Uh, one of the stories, um, you know, again, reliability of this story, I don't know. <clears throat> but one of the stories with video accompanying the story, uh, purporting to show uh, backhoes and, and, and shovels uh, restoring the, uh, the rails, the rail bed, the berm that, okay. the, that, the, that the train tracks are laid on. And the, I don't, I don't want to call it accusation, observation perhaps, of the locals is that Norfolk Southern's uh, construction crews or reconstruction crews just took the, the the existing predominant soil that had just been impregnated with dioxins and other products from the burning. Um, that that very same soil is is they used for ma- reconstructing the rail beds the rail bed so this, yeah that should have been that should have been all disposed of that okay. should have been trucked off that's what i thought disposed of and, but and here's the thing with yeah here's the thing with rail rail beds number one it's almost like an act of congress to drill inside of a right-of-way in a rail bed because they're all contaminated okay and the railroad companies don't want you messing around with their right-of-ways at all okay there it's it's just a known fact. Now, rail beds do serve a different purpose in the fact that they can provide some mechanical um, containment because they're so hard compact. Okay. So that compaction will help with shallow groundwater migration. But if this is like some kind of sandy, cobbly environment, which you know is that close to the to the Ohio River, which you could be in a nice sand and gravel, you know. Uh, a former Ohio River, um, you know, waterway, and that's always a sandy, cobbly environment where this stuff just zips. So I would first assess the plume, and you can even put, so in situations like this, you can actually um, achieve a mechanical barrier by installing wells down gradient, which is, you know, it's going left to right. Um, You you install groundwater wells down gradient and you pump so much that you actually control the direction of the groundwater flow. So you can build a barrier. So it will not migrate beyond, Mm. but you got to know, you got to have that initial information first of your plume, what the geology is, where the groundwater is, 
how deep is the groundwater? And, and to your point, Norm, if there's a clay layer, because you don't want to pop through a clay layer that you have, because that's a confining barrier underneath the, in the ground. So in a lot of times, and I've done this before, where you'll go into that clay barrier and make like a sump in there, like three feet, if, if the clay barrier is thick enough, put a sump in there and this stuff will bounce along on that clay layer because it's heavier than the, than the groundwater itself. And then you can collect it out of there. And I've actually done that in near to, to Creek watersheds like this before, because um, we found free product. We found free solvents um, down at depth. Uh, <laughs> this was a quote, um, solvent recycling facility. Wow. When you look at the, the photographs, this guy wasn't recycling anything. He was taking all this stuff from all these companies he just put it on a pad in the back. He had hundreds of 55-gallon drums. What he was doing, what he did, he built a pond. These kids are swimming in the pond. There was a 40-foot sand and gravel layer, and everybody's drinking the groundwater in this area. And when we were doing the investigation, my geologist called me and said, man, I, you know, everything looked good except this last sample I was getting high hits on my on my field instrument. I go, huh, that's interesting. And, I, and this guy was really good. And I said, well, take one more sample. I said, are you still in the sand and gravel? He goes, yeah. I said, go go another five feet. He goes another five feet. And he goes, man, it just keeps getting worse and worse. I'm like, huh. I, I go, go ahead and chase it. He chases it down to a clay layer. We found four feet of free product, free solvents on the clay layer. And that, that sparked a million dollar cleanup. What this guy had done, he, when he built this freaking pond, <clears throat> this pond, and maybe it wasn't 40 feet, it was like 20 feet or something. He had popped through that clay layer wow. in the pond. He was dumping the solvents in the pond. Wow. So the solvents, and then we traced it. I could actually trace it with my data. Um, we did soil borings and you could see exactly uh, the depth and where he was injecting this in. And it went through the clay layer hit another hit the bottom confined clay layer and that was bouncing along there. It was going under the Creek to other people's homes. Wow. So that's, so on this, in this, you're going to have, you're going to have that here. You're going to have free product underneath the ground. And so we, you got to figure out where you're, where you're, um, if you have any confining layers down there, well, look, that'll I mean, help. So obviously there's going to, have to be some significant, well, at least we would hope there's going to be significant testing and remediation and all sorts of oh, work God, that yeah. has to be done. Who, how does that happen? Like, does the gut, you have EPA, you have the state EPA, you have the federal government coming in, then you got like department of training, like you've got this conglomerate of political de- debacle sort of weighing in on this. And then obviously the government doesn't have like the guys with boots on the ground out there doing it. So they contract locally or they contract with a company sort of break down for us, if you could, how this has to happen and uh, maybe, maybe break down how it should happen. And then maybe we'll talk about what probably will happen. Typically it's, it's the owner operator. It's their fault. So um, they're a solvent company, no pun intended or pun intended. Uh, Norfolk Southern. I mean, what's their market cap? 55 billion. Yeah. And they have they have their own health and safety teams. They have their own trained guys to do a lot of this. They would contract out to somebody like me. They they would they would have preferred contractors for emergency response, for drilling and testing, 
um, all that stuff could, could be under one umbrella, but it should be all on them. And there should be investigation. They, I mean, this should have happened after they, they lit this stuff on fire. I mean, you should have drill rigs out there right now, you know, trying to figure out where this is because time is of the essence. You have so much product and it is going to zoom down to, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's like water or electricity, right? Path of least resistance. And you got, you got to figure out where that path of least resistance is and then head it off at the pass. So that's the, and nobody's talking about that on a, on a national level. All I've heard is Cincinnati closed off their, their, uh, their wells. So, um, yeah, apparently yeah, uh, Huntington, West Virginia, did not. They made the decision. Now that's that's weak old news. They may have since right. shut it down. Well, what what, well, tr- what triggers well, it? What triggers Norfolk Southern to get this going? Does do they have to be sued to get this going, or should they just do it on? Um, no, no, I mean? they should. Yeah, I mean, this is all. So when you look at this as an environmental liability, the worst thing you want is to involve civilians. That's your costs go up exponentially. Yep. So like if I have a gas station and I have a leak and there's somebody that, that has a groundwater well, the next property over, I've always advised my clients, man, you got to take care of this now before they get involved, before you get the lawyers involved. Well, they've already involved a whole community. They've, I mean, this is such a disaster of what they did. And like I say, now you have three areas that you got to figure out. You, the surface, the air, and now the groundwater and, yeah. and the and the in the soil, soil and groundwater in the in the spill area. So they're already, I mean, what is it, six or twelve lawsuits are already out there? Yeah. Um, at least six class actions, I think. Yeah. So they're already in it up to their necks. Uh, they have insurance, which this is going to be huge. Um, and that's what. So I, and I don't even know how that any of that works, but if they're found to be negligent in their maintenance of that car that freaking uh, seized up, you know, how does that work? I don't know, but they're going to, they're going to spend a boatload of money. Yeah. This, this very well, I'm hearing people, credible people out there saying that this, this could be worse than Chernobyl. Now the NTSB report, the preliminary that you cited earlier, uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. I, uh, the, the, uh, NTSB spokesperson mentioned the fact that when the overheated bearings were being detected uh, prior to East Palestine, that then a trouble light uh, indication would go up to the locomotive operator and they should have brought the train to a stop. And they so should have. She is implying that something in that system either you know, electrical or human did not perform as it should have. Yeah. I heard the same thing. Uh, what do they call it? The box detectors or something, something um, yeah. specifically yeah. to detect elevated temperatures. Well, you know, that's what the caboose used to be for mm-hmm. when those guys would, they would look for fires. That's why you had a caboose. That's why I had people back there. And now you don't, now you have these detectors and, and I don't know the technicalities of all that, but I have, heard that same thing um, that this was detected and then there was some kind of failure or whatever. All I know is I saw a ring camera yeah. of that thing going through the town. Yeah. That didn't look like it was going under 50 miles an hour. That thing looked like it was motoring fast. Yeah. 
And I don't know, because apparently with hazardous chemicals, you're, you're, you have a speed limit. Man, it didn't look like it was going to speed limit. I'll tell you this. I, I so I've been, I've been in Salem, Ohio a lot where the detectors uh, picked up the 300 Fahrenheit degree mm-hmm. bearings. And there are apartment buildings and condominiums and old neighborhoods that are just, they're showpieces. I mean, it's a beautiful community, Salem, Ohio. And the railroad is directly adjacent to these buildings and had the de- the, the derailment uh, occurred in Salem, holy, holy cow, the scale of what we'd be looking at would would just completely swallow up East Palestine. I mean, they are so lucky this didn't happen because the physical, uh, the physical crash alone, uh, and when you look at the disbursement of the cars there in East Palestine, that would have infiltrated actual neighborhoods in Salem, Ohio. And you, you so get, it's funny you bring that up because there's dead, apparently dead people there. You know, from there's apparently the a movie that came out two three years ago called White Noise. Filmed in Salem, Ohio, a, a train car derailment that dispersed noxious gases. Wow. How odd is that? That is odd. Yeah. Wow. That's why I call it Colonels of Truth, Norm. Yeah. Because That's Hollywood weird. will give you will give you Colonels of Truth. That reminds me, movies. remember when uh, Three Mile Island happened just like a month before the China Syndrome movie debuted? And then, like thirty days later, uh, Three Mile Island had their uh, their incident, and and it freaked freak, freak people out. To this day, we haven't licensed a new nuclear power plant. Maybe one one plant in the last fifty years, right? So, um, and, and the technology is so far ahead. And that's this is where this is where I think it's worthy of sort of we can wrap it up with sort of this final uh, topic here. And that is what happens next, because, you know, everybody's going to say now rail safe or rail transfer or rail transportation uh, is no good. It's uh, we shouldn't be doing it or, you know, there's always a political backlash to this kind of stuff that is um, designed to look good, but doesn't really help the problem. And, you know, I, I tell this old Thomas Sowell story where uh, there was a, a, a two year old that died on a plane or something like that. So now the. Um, the FAA creates a regulation that all two-year-olds have to have seats, and then deaths of of, of kids goes up during travel because the parents could no longer afford to take them on planes, which was otherwise the safest way to trans to travel. And then they all had right. to get in their cars and drive on highways where there were more crashes because people couldn't afford planes. In other words, there's always a bigger picture than uh, than just yeah. uh, the the current what looks good solution. So, right. you know, and Jay, I know you, this isn't your expertise, but you know, you, you're a smart guy and you've got common sense, which is what we like here at common sense, Ohio. Uh, it's like what needs to be done maybe to uh, make sure that this kind of stuff doesn't repeat without torpedoing our infrastructure and our ability to do what we need to do to operate as a society, because it's easy to say no more trains, no more chemicals, but obviously we need trains and chemicals. So how do you know, where does this go from here? Well, there has to be a complete review of the train process itself. I've heard anecdotally that Norfolk Southern uh, personnel hate these giant trains. They think that there should be no no more than 80 cars. This was 149 cars. Um, now, 
you know, out where I'm at, out here in the Southwest, you know, you can see these giant trains, but there's nothing around here. Absolutely nothing. That's, that's safe. But when you're in populated areas like this, I think you have to look at that. You have to look at all the maintenance records. Um, and then you have to look at this, this spill response. This, this, I, I, I just fail to see the common sense in what they did. You know, the NTSB uh, lady also, the spokesperson uh, lady uh, for the NTSB, she also, she slipped this in, Jay, which I think we may, we, therefore, since since uh, she slipped it in, I think we're going to hear something about this. She said something about we are examining the placarding on the rail cars, that they're, it, that tells me that they think maybe the identification of what was in these rail cars might be at issue. Uh, so we'll see. That, that has been an issue for rail transport. I also heard that too, Norm, okay. uh, anecdotally, that there's been some consternation in the auto, in the locomotive industry about placarding. And I don't know, and I don't know what that would uh, affect. Yes, right. You know, so... Right. Does that mean does that mean you can only have 80 cars or does it mean you if give you're prior hauling, prior notice perhaps to uh, emergency responders yeah. that these types of chemicals will be passing through your town at so during this number of hours stand by whatever you know well, what I mean That's funny you should say that because they did hand out medical bracelets the fire department did 3 days before this happened hmm. to monitor medical conditions in case of a, uh, what did they say? A uh, catastrophic event. Wow. How odd. You well, know, you know, and, it always makes and you the wow. EPA and the EPA 11 days before this happened, uh, increased the maximum, maximum exposure to vinyl chloride from, I think it was a hundred parts per billion to a hundred thousand. Wow. They increased it by a thousand with, zero studies wow i'm just like man i'm not a conspiracy theorist yeah but i'm just like that's three things that are really odd that is odd mm. so I mean, steve well, brought up and, and, and chlorinated solvents i mean you guys don't understand this stuff is highly regulated it's highly toxic it's man-made does not occur in nature and i've never seen just lax this is just crazy this is like this is some of the worst stuff you can clean up in the environment wow and if you're just willy-nilly just increasing your standards by a thousand thousand fold that's an un unbelievable to me so when it's like over the last three years all science physics as we knew it just doesn't exist anymore they're just doing it so when steve, when steve says you know where where does this go the ultimate bad place where this could go is a love canal situation where you abandon the town because you can't clean it up. That's what people are saying. This town probably will be need to be bulldozed. Yeah. And, and love, and can, love canal thing, is, is, is like a <clears throat> Chernobyl. You go to love if, canal and, and, right. and it's like a ghost town. And, and so, they and they have underground fires going on, and it's crazy, yeah. you know. And by igniting this, they literally set off a bomb. Wow. If they didn't ignite it, I, I just, I, and I don't know, and I will give them 
at least a little credit on that end. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure you could have pumped this stuff out uh, and done it correctly. Uh, it may have taken a week to get, you know, to ensure that everything is correct. But now look at what you got. Yeah. Well, you have to wonder this then, is a why, disaster. Not, why not explore that option? And then, you know, this is where, this is where the conspiracy theories d- generate because you, there's, there's already people out there saying, well, they burned it to hide evidence of something else. And, you know, it, it Jay, you always hear me say this all the time that uh, you, you just I never default to some sort of nefarious intent or, or bad motive when you can just simply explain it by stupidity and incompetence and negligence. <laughs> and, and you know, this but with all this stuff stacking up, it's hard to ignore some of the uh, stuff that's happened in the last two or three years culminating, not culminating, but represented maybe by this. And, you know, if, if it was a complete abandonment of normal protocol and cleanup geology, then why in the hell does that possibly happen in this kind of scenario? Is it, is it just a, uh, to cover up the fact that you didn't have the right placards or to cover up the fact that you were violating other rules or cover up the fact that um, uh, you weren't doing something else correctly? Or, or seemingly just to get the railroad back up and or, running. Or get the, that's, that's what, what I was thinking yeah. too. Exactly. And then, that's what I've heard. But, but yeah. I, I just, I cannot believe yeah, it. They could have done that anyway. I mean, 20, you know, they would have done that either way. Exactly. They could have. In 2023, and, and after everything that I've seen in my career, where I've cleaned up residences where you could light the liquid coming out of the person's faucet. They're like, we just brush our teeth with it. And shower, we don't drink it anymore. <sighs> and that was, you know, rural. Th- that was, it's like caveman. To now, I, I this just boggles well, my mind. I, and I'm just saying, I think this is more of incompetence and people freaking panicking. Sounds like um, I. Man, I, well, I, when I, you're I just passing the buck hard. down to the fire marshal to go light it. Yeah, oh, lighter. Go for it. Is, I, I mean, yeah, like that kind of goes to that th- that this, theory. I, I want to cover. I want to talk a little bit about this notion of getting the trains back running on time because I know you know we've had some arguments about this uh, off the air where I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think you know we had an accident, so shutting down all rail transportation, uh, I think, is 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 not the right step. It might look good. It might be great for a government entity to come and say, no moss, you can't come back and run. But on the other hand, that's impacting other parts of our society. This is a very dynamic problem. But uh, so I'm, I'm wondering then if uh, there's a way to get the trains running on time without igniting a plume of, of chemicals that are dangerous, that'll kill us. You know, do, do we have, could, I, could they have just used a different rail line for a there, little bit? There, well, that's, that's what I was wondering, Steve. And there's no way that they did not know the effects. This is 2023, man. You know, we know this stuff. Everybody knows this stuff. Yeah. Uh, even the local fire commander, I bet, knew it. Sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we we have drilled this stuff. We have prepared for it. And what they did, I is the the exact opposite of what I would think you could you should do. Yeah, well, well, it wasn't the first or last time that that stuff ran through. East Palestine. Well, to bolster. Not at all. I mean, to it probably bol- ran through right. there the week before. So to bolster right. yeah. Jay's point, I I looked up vinyl chloride. You know, just as the, you know, <laughs> a regular citizen, and it was invented in like 1910. Yes, it, it's, exactly. This is not like something that was that just got hatched out of Elon no. Musk's factory. Mm-hmm. Or, no. right. This this is an old, you know, over a hundred years old experience that we've and, had in this country with this chemical. 
That's a great point, Norm. And we also, around that time, we, we learned that if you ignite this stuff at a low temperature, it creates dioxins. Wow. <laughs> yeah, incredible. I mean, we've known that for almost 100 years. Wow. I mean, phosgene gas is outlawed because of World War I. Yeah, by, One of the byproducts by, of, of a low temperature burning is phosgene gas. Why do you think all those pets died? Yeah, it's a war. Homes? It's a war crime to use. It's a war crime. It's a war yes. crime. It's, it's been banned by and the they, Geneva Convention. Yeah. They just nuked a town <laughs> yeah. with it. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Well, and I mean, people, people have skin rashes, and it's already, I mean, they're they're already suffering acute freaking effects of this stuff. I cannot believe that some attorney. Some environmental attorney at Norfolk Southern said, "Yep, good to go." Because hmm. well, <laughs> at the end of the day, they're the ones that are that are liable for this. Yeah, it's funny because as an attorney, I, I always try to put myself in the shoes. If I get the call, you know, the ring a ring a ling call, yeah. like I gave you, it's like, do I get the call at two in the morning? There's been this accident. What do we do? And the first thing I would say is, the first thing I would ask myself is, how do we contain this debacle? as quickly as possible to make right. sure that the that we cause the, the least bit of damage. And, you know, it would be, you, you would just coordinate your team of experts. A guy like you would be on it. I mean, you would just get to the protocols and deal with it. You would never say, uh, you would never, def I would never, if, if I'm calling the shots here, I wouldn't default to some uh, action that is outside normal protocol for dealing with this chemical. I, right. I, I, unless I had like 10 experts saying, look, Ordinarily, we would never do this, but here it's the right thing to do because, and that because better make a lot of sense. And if it doesn't make and a lot so of far, sense, it, 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 I don't think that's and so far. I haven't heard one lick of sense coming out of that decision. And we like comments. And when did, the, when did they ignite it? When did it, how long did it take for them to do that? So February 3rd at 9 p.m., it derailed. So when did they light it on fire? Do we know? Was it a couple of days after? It, it was within days, I think. Yeah. That's what I thought. So here's here. And there's plenty my, of time in that time frame to make a decision it, that made sense. Yes. And, and my brain has been kicking this over for a long time. I'm like, what would I have done? What would I do? Number one, you secure it, you evacuate. You got to get people out of there. Then you got to figure out how much of this stuff is leaking out, what the fire situation is. There are protocols. I'm reading them on the DOT. It says for a rail car full of vinyl chloride, this is what you do. Yeah. All these guys know that. So then I'm like, okay, so if we can keep everything, keep the heat under control, why can't you do that for like a week while you're also vacking out out of your trench uh, the product that you see? I, I just don't understand why that couldn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just don't get that. And here's the thing. Now, if they did marshal a bunch of vac trucks there, that's against protocol anyway, because in order to run that vac, you got to have your engine on. So you can't, you can't have any spark or anything going on. So, but my experience is I've cleaned up, you know, uh, petroleum spills, you know, free product, like hundreds of gallons at a time, thousands of gallons with pumps that are non-sparking. They're, they're pneumatic pumps. Like, why can't we throw some pneumatic pumps in a trench and freaking pump that stuff out to a to either a tanker or um, a, some kind of mobile? There's all sorts of mobile op, you know options now. Sure. You could run that some kind of pump. A, some kind of pump something. put the put the product into the cars. Something, yeah. yeah. So, so it's if like it, I, if it that's was, what I if it was loaded into yeah. the cars using a pump, then a pump could extract right. it. 
just as well. Right. And, and it should be less hazardous because it's been exposed to the air and water. Yeah. So, you know, you can, that's what I, that's what I just don't understand. And I've been trying to look for an explanation, you know, cleanup methods yeah. for, and, and examples of this. And there, there are none. So, um, I mean, examples, like I said, I examples of what they did as opposed to what the protocol is. Both. Both. Yeah. Okay. Uh, of, of physical vinyl chloride spills. This is obviously going to be the worst vinyl chloride spill in history. Well, look, and this very well could be the biggest spill every ever. time. Look, every time one of these disasters, like go back to the Titanic, it's like it's always the worst in history. Like it's like this culmination of ignoring certain problems and certain things, and it's multifaceted, and then it culminates in like the worst disaster with the perfect storm of of conditions that it could have been, and then maybe we can do something that fixes it. I mean, it's sort of I hate to say it, but it's sort of like <laughs> a common pattern uh, from the and it's, Titanic, it, Hindenburg, and, and it's a complete complete failure of leadership. And here's the thing. If it was, it makes sense that it was, it was um, the decision of the local fire chief. That's exactly what I would expect a local fire chief to do. Right. He doesn't know that this creates dioxins, phosgene gas and hydrochloric acid in the atmosphere, but somebody should have told him Norfolk Southern knew it. The OEPA knows that. Right. The EPA knows that. Right. Yes. Um, and so they, how why and all this those guy, all those agencies have now claimed, including you know uh, DOT, Buttigieg, they're all now claiming that they had people on site from the very beginning. So to your point, which Jay, they there's no excuse if they've had if the EPA was had people on site immediately. There's no excuse for why they there's let the, the zero, fire chief zero. do that. Yeah, yeah, and 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 they obviously didn't have any any experienced remediation guys or anything like that, which is very odd because the railroads are very well equipped Yeah, and they know, they know their stuff. Yeah. Well, I I've got, so a that's hunch. what I, that's, a, I got a hunch. There's going to be some, the, the, some of the cause of this response is going to be a political pro or it's going to be attributed to some political incompetence where one agency doesn't want to step on another agency's toes or this guy's in charge, but the person who's in charge isn't really qualified because it was a political appointee on one side of the aisle or the other. I mean, it's like when you, when you put people like Buttigieg or these people that don't have experience in these jobs, their figurehead jobs until they freaking matter. And so if somebody's in in charge of the Ohio EPA, do they really have any expense or any experience like you have Jay out there cleaning stuff up? So they know. So that's not the person who needs to be calling the shots yet. We perceive as a society that they are experts and they're not. And they're not, you know, that's the problem. We would need somebody who is smart enough to know what they don't know. So, and, and not to say that you could run the EPA, that's a whole different skill set. What you need right. is somebody who's in charge of the EPA, who's got somebody like you in their Rolodex. One so when this happens- no, what, what you needed was a Reddit dare. That's who you needed. Yeah. The guy that used to put out all right. the oil fires. Right. Yeah. You need exactly. guys like- You need John Wayne. Exactly. <laughs> you need John you guys Wayne like that and Hellfighters. Exactly. To come in there and take charge and overrule everybody say no you this is what you're going to do this is why you got to do it and you can't do that other option that you're even talking about yeah it's an interesting point you made because there there is that old John Wayne movie in Hellfighters where he's like this sort of uh cowboyish guy whose job is to go yeah. put out oil rig fires and uh, yeah, that's based off of Red Adair, a true guy a and it's guy. the same as uh same what's the other stupid the, I don't want to saw a stupid movie but uh 
where Bruce Willis has to go to the asteroid to go yeah. drill. It's yeah, like, exactly. It's this, it's this cowboy yes. attitude where these guys come in and they're not politicians and they throw their weight around. No. And they just, I mean yes and I mean no, and that's the way it's going to be. This is how it is. Right. But it's sort of like, you know, that's that's about as anti-woke and anti-political as it gets. You need some, Correct. somebody who's just going to take charge Correct. and say, here's how this goes down. I don't give a crap about your train. I don't give a crap about right. your money. I don't give a crap about whether you get elected. I'm fixing the, the damn problem. The, the buck stops here. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the yeah, guy. And, I'm the and one. the thing is, yeah. when this stuff happens, and I've been on enough emergency responses, number one, everybody's trying to figure out what the heck is going on. My whole thing, when I pull up on a site, I'm like, okay, where is the immediate danger? Am I going to get blown up? You know, and with petroleum, petroleum and, and utility corridors, that's a, I've seen it. I've seen manholes blow off. Um, it just doesn't seem like there was that continuity or, or some contractor that knew really what the hell was going on. And when you get a bunch of these freaking bumbling bureaucrats around and you have residents screaming at you, and I mean, screaming, crying, you know, stealing your stuff, you know, violence that happens all the time because people freak out. This I'm sure was as chaotic as it gets. But it obviously, and, and you can't be bullied around by production. This is not a production issue. Getting the rail line going, that's where guys like me come in and say, I don't care what, how much money you're losing. Look what you did here. And we're going to try to clean this up as quick and as appropriate as possible. Yep. And sometimes it just takes time, yep. you know, and this, but my God, what they did, I just, I, I still can't wrap my brain around. It. I can't wrap my brain around that thought process. And what, what spreadsheet are they looking at? You know, what Venn diagram are they looking at? It says, yep, ignite it. I've never seen that ever in a remedial strategy, hmm. ever. Well, with that, we probably had to wrap it up. That was great, Jay. You know what? Uh, that was about the most insightful uh, discussion on this I've heard on any news channel. And that's not just to tout us here at Common Sense Ohio, but it, I think it, that was the common sense or that was the dose of common sense that I think a lot of people needed on this to, to sort of unravel this and, and get an idea of what really did happen, what could happen, what should have happened and how dangerous this chemical really is. Um, man, thank you very much for uh, for breaking that down for us. Yeah, it's fun, man. I always, always uh, like talking with you guys. And uh, yeah, I'll stay on this and maybe we can have a follow up. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll keep you on tap and maybe we'll, we'll touch base in a couple of weeks and see where it is. Yeah, I really do want to know what the uh, what the the root cause of all this, especially their their cleanup strategy. I just for the life of me, I, and I haven't heard anybody in the week since make any sense out of it. So I don't know. Well, we're going to do that right here. Uh, so all right. uh, cool. anyway, for those who want to uh, catch the backlog of all the Common Sense Ohio shows, that's easy. You just go to commonsenseohioshow.com. You can uh, there lives all the. Uh, prior episodes of Common Sense Ohio. Not all of them uh, are as riveting as this one, but uh, it's the same concept. We take apart issues and try to really discuss them with uh, with a common sense attitude and one that maybe isn't driven by politics or other emotion. And uh, that's not always easy to find in this day and age. Um, and if you want to become a sponsor, obviously you can reach out there. If you've got a question for us, you can reach out there. You should check out Norm's blog. They're, uh, they're getting released at an alarming rate. He's got lots of topics and lots of things <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's it. You can catch those at uh, commonsenseohioshow.com. Brett's got a blog too, and I, in theory, do, but it is not populated by any blogs yet. Um, at any rate, 
We uh, we're going to keep taking apart this issue and all the others uh, on Common Sense Ohio coming at you right from the middle, at least until now.